But what was precious to me and that what struck me and provoked me to move forward with the message that I believe the Holy Spirit had have me minister this, this, this morning as well as over the next couple of weeks is my daughter was so concerned. My daughter, she is an entrepreneur to the heart. And she bakes, she makes, bakes and sells cookies on two days a week. And on Monday, you know, she does this on Mondays. And so she comes home and she, she calls me and says, Mommy, I got to stop at the store. I said, for what? I got to pick up the stuff to make some cookies. Why do you want to make cookies, baby? You just made cookies. Well, I want to make cookies for those people that I, for my friends. I said, really? She said, yeah. You know, there's some people that just always support me no matter what. And I just want to let them know I appreciate them. So I said, oh, okay, that's sweet. She said, it's a good time to do it on Valentine's Day so that they feel special, at least by me. And so with that being said, you know, I realized that Valentine's Day, we're celebrating our significant others. But how many of you know, you know that we have other relationships that need to be acknowledged, that need to be celebrated, honored, and just a time to say thank you. And so what we're going to talk about on this morning are seven indispensable relationships that you cannot do without. Seven indispensable relationships that you cannot do without. And, you know, our history, my husband and I, we love relationships. We are relationship-driven. We love people. He loves people completely different the way I love people. He liked people completely different the way, differently than the way I like people. But there are still yet, some, however you deal with people, there are some relationships that you just need in your life on a consistent level. You know, um, and they're not always friends. They're, you know, how many of you know you can have a relationship and the relationship not necessarily be a friendship? But every friendship has to be a productive relationship. In the famous words of Bill Withers, you remember that song? Some times in your lives we will have pain. We, come on, act, don't act like you don't know. We all have, but if we be wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Here we go now. Lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. <laughs> Life is a journey. And in that journey, if you don't realize that you cannot make this journey alone, you will not get your to your destination successfully. And I realize that many of us have been hurt by our friends, those that we deem friends. Many of us have trust issues because of the relationships that we have had. Many of us have made a decision for Christ because of our relationships. And many of us have made decisions against Christ because of our relationships. Another famous quote, set of famous quotes, I guess, by the infamous Houdini. <laughs> Friends, how many of us have them? Friends, 
ones we can rely on, friends. <laughs> it's all right to have fun in church, right? Now, seriously, though, here is a real quote by the man Mark Nepo, who is the author of the exquisite book. He says, to journey without being changed is to be a nomad. To change without journeying is to be a chameleon. To journey and be transformed by that journey is to be a pilgrim. God has called us to be pilgrims in this earth. Understanding that this is not the final destination. Your goals are not your final destination. That house you want to buy is not that final destination. That marriage you want is not that final destination. That retirement plan you want to acquire and walk in is not your final destination. Your final destination is heaven. And until you get there, you are constantly on a journey taking people along with you. So where they, you end up, they will be there too. A psychologist by the name of Larry Crabb said, the church is a community of people on a journey to God. So in this journey called life, who are you taking with you? And better yet, who are you allowing you to go with? Jesus deemed it necessary. You know, this is the man-child God on the earth who left his throne, who had all power in his hands. And yet he still chose 12 to journey during his ministry so that he can accomplish not his will, but the Father's will. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 3. It says in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, And he, Jesus, ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. Now let's break that down a little bit. It says that he, Jesus, ordained twelve. That word ordained is the Greek word poeo, P-O-I-E-O, poeo. And it is defined as being to appoint, to band together, to commit to purpose, to fulfill, and this one, I did not know it meant this until I looked it up, to journey. So when we ordain fellow ministers, we're expecting them to join them on this journey called preaching the gospel, being first partakers of the fruit of righteousness, being live, walking, living demonstrators of God's word. And then he goes on to say that he wanted them to be, that they should be with him. That word with, we, we overlook these prepositions, but nevertheless, that word with is the Greek word mito. Mito, that's defined as being together, to be near, an accompaniment. An accompaniment. In other words, Jesus didn't just want them to go hanging with him to be yes, yes people and no people and, and do what he said do. He wanted to spend time with them. He wanted to impart to them. He wanted to be an example to them. He was very intentional about his relationship with him, which is why he was very specific about the 12 that he chose. And then the next set of words that he might send them forth to preach. 
And when I was looking at this, the word uh, send and forth was the exact same word. And when you put the exact same word like together in the Greek, it's a, it's a double meaning there. So that word send and the word forth is both the word apostello, the Greek word apostello, which means to send, to assign, to put on a mission, to set apart. So when the double words are used in this phrase together, basically it's saying that Jesus did these things so that he could send and assign and impart into them so that they can go forth and basically replicate what he did. Okay? And, and even Jesus, during this time that he had with his people and during this journey that he had on the earth, how I many of you know they had some conflict? He went off on them a few times. Are you yet still unbelieving though I've been with you all this time? Remember? If you're going to question, don't question me. Just, just look at the work. A lot of those comments that he made, he didn't make them to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. A lot of those comments he was making to his boys, to his crew. So if you will, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 14. A lot of times we grow up with people and we, I mean, that's our dog. Those are our people. A lot of times we meet people just by our circumstances and our surroundings. And that's cool and all. But at some point, you're going to have to be very intentional about what role certain people play in your life and be very specific of what role, what role you want to play in their lives. Herein are there so many frustrations, so many arguments, and so many bust-up in relationships. You know, there's a saying that says, some people are here for a season, some people are here for a reason, but some people are here for a lifetime. Reality, folks, there are some people in your life that was only there for a season, but for a specific reason that should have never been gone afterwards. They should have been a lifetime person. Not all breakups and friendships were necessary. Proverbs chapter 14, it says, where, in chapter 14, verse 4, where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. Basically, this is a business reference here, but in business there's relationships. And when this was really break, broken down, basically talking about anything that's worth having and is profitable is going to require work. That, 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 that scripture there, that verse of scripture, basically the history is that people will compare and argue whether the oxen was more beneficial or whether the horse was more beneficial. And they were talking about how the oxen just makes such a mess and requires so much work. They're just so big. They make much, twice as much mess as a horse does. But then it says here, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But when you really look at it and think about it, it says, but with the oxen, there's much more profit because the oxen is great for work. Then after it can't work no more, it's great for food. And after the food is used up, the hide can be used for clothing. You have relationships that are so necessary in your life. And 
Don't allow, what I'm inviting you to do is not allow your hurt heart, your unforgiveness to stop you from successfully journeying this earth. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to get all that God has for you by yourself. Now, there are some baselines and some ideals in your relationships. Ideally, you want to have three things in common with every relationship that I'm going to be talking about. Ideally. But I understand that sometimes it doesn't happen that way, but you got to know where that person sits in your life and be okay with that. Number one, ideally, y'all want to have Jesus in common. How can two walk together unless they agree? Number two, you have to have the Bible in common. Because you're going to disagree. And I could be stuck in my opinion, and you could be stuck in yours. But at the end of the day, the word is what defines what's right or wrong, acceptable or non-acceptable. Number three, you should have prayer in common. Because I'm no good to you if I can't. I don't know what's going on with you. But guess who does? Holy Spirit. And I want to be able to tap into that prayer on behalf of my friend or my relationship. That's when I'm most beneficial. Amen. So let's talk about these seven indispensable relationships. Turn with me first. We'll start with number one. Turn with me to 2 Samuel first, uh, chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Are you there? I forget these days you don't hear paper rattling. You just, just hear fingernails hitting glass. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. It says, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Now, let me back up a little bit for time's sake. In the beginning here, this is when David was eyeing Bathsheba. He saw her while he, she was taking a bath from his terrace, and he was like, mm, I want some of that. She's married, and his main man, Urias, is one of his main soldiers, and it's his boy. It's one of his most dependable people. And what David does is he sleeps with Bathsheba during that time, has his servants bring him to her. They sleep together. And then she sends notice, yo, Dave King, I'm pregnant. And he was like, oh, snap. Oh, snap. Oh, man. Man, are you sure it's mine? <laughs> oh, don't act like you don't know. Now he got to do something about his boy because surely he can't be, I mean, he can't be put on blast. He tries to get Uriah to go home and sleep with her because so you can cover it up, hoping that the child don't come out looking too much like him. <laughs> but he's so faithful, Uriah, he he's so faithful to his boy that he's like, I'm going to sleep outside your door until you come out, almighty king. We're at war. How could I do such a thing? David was like, oh, this dude is too good for his own good. <laughs> now what I'm going Finally, by the end of it all, he sends Uriah out to battle, tells the soldier, the, the head soldier, put him at the front line. And when he put him at the front line, he was killed. 
So now he's not only responsible for adultery, illegitimate pregnancy, but now it's murder. And Nathan, Nathan don't know really what's going on. He wasn't there. But I choose to believe Nathan was like, dog, you know, King David, we're pretty tight. And we've gotten close over the years. I mean, I've been down with him for whatever. And he's been throwing some shade lately. I, what's wrong with King David? I mean, he's not my man no more. He's acting kind of crazy. He's all jittery, sweating for no reason. I mean, just, just pacing the floor all the time. What's wrong with King David? Nathan's like, I mean, God, I hear from you. What's going on with King David? And he finally calms down enough to go in his, in his, in his closet and, and, and seek God. Who is your Nathan? Number one, your first relationship. Who is your Nathan? Who is your umpire? Who is the one that's, that's okay to give you the finger? This finger. You're that man, David. Who is that person that you have given permission to come upside your head and, and they don't have to know anything too much more than you wrong? And they can deal with your defensiveness. They can deal with your deception. They can deal with your manipulation. They, can, they know how to deal with you. And then if you still want to buck up, you've given them to permission to take a club and rock it not right upside your head. <laughs> we call it the accountability partner in our church circle. You know, the one that's going to help me stay tight. <laughs> but if you have an accountability partner, the, the accountability partner is not just there when you want to do right. Your accountability partner is most pertinent when you decide you want to cut up. It's easy when you're in between relationships, you're not dating anybody, and you want to call your accountability partner to hang out so that you don't, you know, make that call or go on Facebook and say, ooh. <laughs> That's easy. But the accountability partner really comes in play after you've met him or her. Y'all went out on two or three dates. You've passed that 30-day mark that many people want to call as your marker. That accountability partner now really comes in play when they're texting you, thinking about you, what you doing? And you was just putting on the Victoria's Secrets. <laughs> you just text, see you at nine. You know nine o'clock is too late to go on no date. Because your tail really need to be in two hours later by 11, 12 o'clock but I'm not your mama. Who is your Nathan? Now, let me, let me tell you something about Nathans. Nathans might not necessarily be your tightest friend, but the Nathan is the one that's praying for you. My husband has a very, very, very good Nathan. This is Bishop George Davis out in Jacksonville, Florida. And he has conversations, they have conversations with, e with each other that I'm not even privileged to. And guess what? I'm good with that. But he's given, they've given each other permission that if he wanted to cut up, I know who to call. 
Bishop George Davis will round up whatever M the biggest MODs he can find <laughs> and make sure that Joe E. Gregory is in the hospital for at least seven to ten days. <laughs> Give him plenty of time to meditate and think on what the Lord has said about what he is doing. <laughs> but I know it ain't even in you, is it, baby? But let me tell you something about Nathans. Nathans will irritate you. They will because they'll come off as being judgmental. They will get under your skin. In fact, with some Nathans, if you are keen to them being your Nathan, you have to, you, you don't need to talk to them all the time. So be careful when you ask someone to be your accountability partner because some of us take that a little bit more seriously than we need to. You only want to hear from them once or twice a month, but they're on speed dial when you're when you trembling. <laughs> a Nathan will ask the hard questions. They will, at, they will ask you, are you keeping your zipper zipping your skirt down? They will ask you, when was the last time you hit that? You haven't been getting those drugs, you haven't been popping those pills, have you? They're going to ask you those embarrassing questions. And because they're more concerned about you, they don't always know how to filter it in front of other people. You got to be okay with that. Because at the end of the day, their concern is you. A Nathan will tell you the hurtful truth. Your husband might say, yeah, that looks good on you, honey. I, I, that looks good. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Would you ever go to your girl, and your girl's like, girl, what you wearing? <laughs> Why? No. <laughs> and check this out. Even Nathans need Nathans. Even Nathans need Nathans. And what a Nathan will do is he will provoke you to self-reflection. He will keep you straight. I know my Nathans. I have two friends. They're very close friends. But they are my Nathans. I'm not going to name them because they're going to be like, oh, do I do that? But they always, both of them, on two completely sides of the country, both of them will say, well, see now, Patty. And whenever they start that, well, see now, Patty. You got to go way back in order to call me Patty. I know it's followed up, but you, did you think about, and did you do this, and what about this? And then I'm like, okay, how much longer do I need to be on this phone? But I know I need to endure them. Number two, turn with me to 1 Samuel 18. Turn with me a few, few pages back, some pages back, some chapters back. It's 1 Samuel 18. We're going on to number two now. Chapter 18, verses 1 and verse 3. I'm just going to skip through. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking to Saul, that the soul, that the soul of David was knit with the soul of... Uh, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. I'll read it to, in, the, in the Message Bible. The Message translation says, Friends come and go, but a true friend sticks to you like family. 
Who is your Jonathan? Who is that true friend that's down for you for what? I mean, your ride or die. Your let's get it done. The one who don't mind taking the blows with and for you. Who is your Jonathan, your true friend, the one who knows you, the one who will put themselves on the line on your behalf? The one that you could tell your deepest, darkest secrets and they don't judge you. They're there to, they know when to listen, they know when to speak. Who is your Jonathan? Who's the one who your soul is knit to? My Jonathan is my husband. If you're married, your first Jonathan should be your spouse. And you know, and I, I'll be the first to admit, sometimes I don't want him to be my Jonathan. But at the end of the day, there's no one that I can trust more that I know is going to have my back, even when he says something I don't want to hear, than my husband, my Jonathan, the one who will go to the battlefield with me. Now, listen, I'm saying this, not much to say about a Jonathan, but, <coughs> excuse me, but we're living in a day and age where people's response to situations and circumstances when it deals with other people is that it ain't none of my business. I ain't got nothing to say. It's not, it ain't my business. But your Jonathan will make it their business. Your Jonathan is not afraid to go into those creep, creepy, dark, spiderweb places in you. But your Jonathan will also be, de be there and help you move on a sunny July day when it's 85 degrees outside. Your Jonathan will be what, they need, what you need them to be. And in Jonathan's, it's reciprocated. You got to know with Jonathan's, you, you, there's going to be seasons where they need you. And you need them. I have someone in my life, <clears throat> she, she told me, she says, you know, she was talking about her friends and stuff and was explaining to me the dynamics of her, some of her friendships. And I was like, isn't that your best friend? She's like, well, she's my best friend, but I'm not her best friend. She has another best friend. I was like, Okay. Okay. But then when I sat back and I thought about it, I was like, that's, that's so mature. That is so mature. In other words, what she said was, I'm willing to be there for her. She might put me on pause, but I'm okay with that. This journey called life. Your Jonathan does not have an ego. They are not asking the question, what's in this relationship for me? They don't have an ego. They don't confuse friendship with networking. They're not there for the hookup. They're not there for the connection. They're there because of you. Your Jonathan is willing to swim in those deep waters. You can be honest with them. You can have intimate conversations and be safe. Your Jonathan is willing to sacrifice. They'll take the lashes with and for you. And your Jonathan will have your back. Your Jonathan will protect you. They're not going to put you on blast. They're not going to throw you under the bus. And even if they did, you know their heart well enough to know that it was totally unintentional. But they're going to protect you. 
A Jonathan in your life will provoke mutual camaraderie. A Jonathan in your life will provoke mutual camaraderie. Those Jonathans typically are those people where iron sharpens iron. Your Jonathan will be the one that you argue with the most. Because guess what? You know them and they know you. And though that's the one relationship where you have to be careful not to X them in their efforts to be a Jonathan. Okay? Let's go on to number three. Number three, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. This is Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, Jesus Christ our Lord. The significant piece there is my own son in the faith. Who is your Timothy? Number three, who is your Timothy? Who is your mentee? Who is your protege? One of the most reciprocated, ungodly, hurtful truths in our society is the failure to reproduce our replacement. Reaching back and taking someone up by the hand and empowering them and encouraging them to be more successful than you are and they're not blood related. That's a devastating truth in the body of Christ. Or not, let me not say truth, fact. Who is your Timothy? Who is your mentee? I don't care how busted up and broken your life is. You have something to impart to someone. And catch this, sometimes you're somebody's Paul and you don't even know it. You don't even know that somebody that's not in your household is watching you and they have a fantastic ideology of who you are. But sometimes we can get so caught up in us and what's wrong with us that we don't embrace the positive deposits that we've made in other people. A lot of my, I have mentees all over this country. You can grab my phone bill. On, my husband will tell you, I'm on the phone with, I, it, 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 it's all over the place. My, my phone bill, I'm one of those, I like to talk. I'm not big on texting and all that stuff. But I have area codes from all over the country. Just checking in, mama. I need advice on this. We're not friends, but I love them enough to want to see them succeed. And whatever I can deposit into them, I will. Who are you coaching? Who are you developing? Who are you, who are you mentoring and really want to share your secrets with to see them succeed? And not be concerned whether they're encroaching or becoming your competition. Guess what? When you do that, you're sowing seed. And God's like, uh, uh, don't be deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. When you sow that type of seed, guess what? There's a promotion on your way. Who is your mentee? Who are you teaching? Who are you instructing? Who are you sharing with? We can't forget to reach back and bring someone else up. How many of you like me from the hood? Guess what? You have over 50 people that you can reach back and, and, and grab a hold of right now. If it's not the f person you grew up with, their kid. Speaking of Timothys and mentees, sometimes our mentee, well, no, not sometimes, we always need to have a child in our lives. 
a child. That child is going to remind you of what's current. It's going to provoke you to share and deposit what's to come. But it'll always remind you of what has happened. You should have a child in your life that's a mentee, as well as someone that may be a young adult or an adult. Because this is, again, a situation where you're sharpening one another. And you're empowering that child to know and understand that even in your young age, baby, you're teaching me some things. Your mentee will provoke achievement. Your mentee will keep you working. Because when you realize you have someone that's watching you, it's going to keep you on your A-game. It's going to keep you of your A-game because you know you are operating now, knowing and understanding someone's watching me. And my failure means more than just my failure. And when you own that, in fact, that's part of the deliverance that people need to walk in. You know, we, we, we don't, my husband and I, we don't believe in, okay, you messed up, sit down for six months. A lot of times it's your service that helps you walk in that deliverance. Sometimes it's that service, it's that serving, it's that accountability piece that says, you know what, I need to stay on my A-game because people are watching me. Amen. We're going to stop right there for now because there's so much more that we can go on to say, but you all get anything out of that? And, and, and this, the next couple of Sundays, it's going to come with a homework assignment because I want you to go home. I want you to assess who is your Nathan. And if they don't know they're your Nathan, you better let them know. You know, and sometimes your Nathan don't, don't need to be mama, don't need to be grandmama, don't need to be auntie, don't need to even get you a real Nathan. Who is your Jonathan? Who is your true friend? Now, who you want to be your true friend? But who is your true friend? And if you have a spouse, go and assess that friendship. Assess that friendship. It's never too late to develop a true friend in your spouse. Who is your mentee? Who is your protege? Start being sensitive and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to somebody that you can, you can impart to. How many of y'all saw, what's that uh, movie? Um, the Christian movie. The, huh? No, not uh, The Closet. War Room. How many of you saw War Room? Okay, I knew I was talking to the right people. Remember the older lady? And she was like, Lord, send me who's next. <laughs> that little realtor thinking she coming there to, 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 to sell a house. <laughs> and that lady, what, what was her name? Miss Clara. You always remember stuff. Miss <laughs> Clara. Miss Clara, boom, right in the eyes. She didn't say it quite like this, but she was like, I'm your Nathan. Sometimes it might just take that. But other times it might take someone earning that. But you, I'm your, she, she was like, I'm your Nathan, I'm your mentor, whatever. But sometimes you may need to do that to somebody else. Because they don't even need, realize that they need someone to guide them.
And check this out. And oftentimes, they're the smart, rich ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So assess your relationships and be intentional about them. Amen. Now, we're in the midst of, while you start playing softly, we're not only celebrating Valentine's love relationships during the month of February, but we're also honoring and acknowledging Black History Month. And while those of you are searching your hearts and your minds, I'm going to do a little something differently. I'm going to read this here poem by a very famous historic black poet back in the 1800s. And it's one of my favorites, and I had to memorize this when I was in the second grade, and I still remember it to this day. But it's called We Wear the Mask by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. So listen to what I say as you're meditating on where you are today. It says, we wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and it shades our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile, with torn and bleeding hearts we smile, and mouth with myriad subtleties. Why should the world be otherwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but old great Christ our cries, to thee from tortured souls arise. We sing, but oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile. But let the world dream otherwise. We wear the mask. Oftentimes in our relationships, we like to pretend like we're so strong. We got it together. We present a perfect masquerade, some of us daily. But at the end of the day, that mask has to come off. And we have to deal with it.